Hi, I'm Jeff, lead pastor of Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. And this podcast is where I get a chance to interview people about things that I'm interested in and talk about whatever I want to talk about. Hi, welcome here. My name is Levi. I may not be a super familiar voice to a lot of you, but I'm uh, the producer of the podcast. So I get to be Jeff's conversation partner in the little preamble bit we're going to do before our normal interview segment. Uh, That'll be few minutes of us talking about current events, if there's stuff that either of us has opinions about, which I would expect to happen every week, opinionating. <laughs> yeah, because we have, uh, yeah. it's not hard. No, lots of stuff. It's not hard to have opinions uh, about many of these things, uh, Levi. That's true. It's good to have you here. It's good to be here. This is the second time that people will be hearing my voice. Uh, I was also, during my internship here, on a parenting podcast. Really? Yes. Uh, speaking as a child of parents. So, yeah. You're, you're an expert in that area. Oh yeah, big time baby. So my experience with my parents. Okay, yeah. It was all all positive. My yeah. parents were excellent, are excellent. We're gonna get into a few topics around some stuff that's been happening lately. Uh, Jeff has assured us that he has opinions about these things. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna get started. Uh, the first thing I'm not sure if you've heard, uh, Doctor Seuss has been uh, censored a little bit, but self censored. Yes. The publishers have decided to no longer print, I believe, six of their titles. Right, because of they have little uh, what's perce- what they perceive to be racist pictures, but a bunch of other people don't perceive it to be racist pictures. What's weird to me about this whole thing is that they they're censoring themselves. Mm-hmm. So I don't, un- I really don't get the big deal about this. Uh, if you want to censor yourself, don't you have the right to censor yourself? That's not, that's not censorship. I mean, it's isn't that just freedom? I thought that was freedom. So if I, in other words, I don't think that I have to say everything that I think all the time. Or I might look back at some of the sermons I used to preach and say, ugh, that's not very good in light of new things that I know or believe. So I would get rid of those things. That's not like th- they weren't canceled. I'm canceling them. And you, listen, I, you might be frustrated uh, with the world that, that forces or pushes the owners of the Dr. Seuss franchise to to cancel stuff. That's a different question, though. But I don't understand. Seriously, it's become like a massive issue. Oh, save Dr. Seuss! It's just like, From Dr. Seuss. I know. Yeah. Dr. Seuss, they can do what they want. I think all those books skyrocketed to the top of Amazon's bestseller lists. I bet. They were worth like 6,000. It's probably what they yeah. did. This is a new Coke thing. <laughs> You're too young to remember, but they came out with new Coke, Mm -hmm. and then they went back to Coke Classic, and I still think it was a ploy because everybody started buying Coke Classic after they brought Coke Classic back because they thought new Coke was trash. So it's a big ploy. I had a a prof in Bible college who thought that it was all a big Coke conspiracy theory, Mm -hmm. but they knew exactly what they were doing from the Mm -hmm. get-go. Yeah, same thing with that uh, moon landing. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They didn't get into that much in Bible school for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, so another kind of thing that's happened lately uh, in that realm of things being censored or canceled, there was a bit of a debate set up on a somewhat sensitive topic between two people, and there was some outrage that arose because they, the general public who uh, saw these two people thought that one was far less qualified than the other to be speaking about this particular topic. And the, the organization organizing it got so much pressure 
to cancel this debate, this discussion, that they had to issue an apology for the pain that they caused people. Was one of the one of the debaters though had misrepresented their CV a little bit? Yeah, is that right? I like think they a little had, bit. Yeah. Okay. Because that's not a good thing. No. No. Right. I mean, I think people sometimes give that a pass and are like, "Yeah, I, no big deal." I mean, who who hasn't said that they went to Harvard? <laughs> and well, a lot of people have said that. This is my thing. Even back in the day with Christians and Ravi, Zach- Ravi Zacharias, he 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 like inflated his CV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I I hear this frequently from lots and lots of different leaders and in political figures and others that that the way that they describe their experience with a thing is not actually quite the experience they've had. They make, it, they make it sound like they have had way more to do with that thing than others. And that, of course, that's that's just, it's sort of, you know, they want to inflate their your your impression of them because they're, they're people who went to these really important universities, but they didn't, right? And so in the end, it, it, is, it is a kind of like shading the truth, and it just drives me nuts, the shading of the truth, right? Mm-hmm. But you've done it, and I've done it. Everybody's done it at some point or another. Yeah, I've had a lot to do with uh, Justin Bieber, <laughs> right? And you you saw him across a, you know, a, a parking lot one time. Maybe, and maybe, yeah. You, the guy looked like him. At least his build was like, and he had a hoodie on. So, but he was driving like an old Camry, right? So like maybe right. not. But if I were Justin Bieber and I wanted to <laughs> trick people, I would be driving this 1996 Camry, right? It's a good car. Yeah. So I get it. And people end up in, you know exaggerating their their stuff but i do think it's interesting that they canceled stuff man you can't do anything these days you can't anytime you make any little error though you're done i'm expecting this podcast to get canceled at some point oh yeah oh yeah as soon as they put maybe this week (laughs) this week no it's crazy it's actually cancel culture is nuts i don't i don't actually understand people some people think it's not a thing uh it we're just holding people accountable right like puritanical new new england held people accountable right i mean you uh, yeah i was just telling you before we started here that uh, there was a book that i had to read in high school called the scarlet letter written by nathaniel hawthorne great american writer and and it was about uh, a a woman who broke the sexual mores of their their puritan community and so they made her wear a scarlet a for adulteress all over the place, so everybody knew who she was. And it, the whole point, of, well, one of the big points in the book w- is look at this, how bad puritanical New England was about people who just wanted to live their lives and, you know, it's oppressive and blah, blah, blah. And I think about it now. Th- who, who are the Puritans now? Isn't it basically the, I don't even know what to call the folks, right? Some people call them the woke secularists or whatever like they have a certain set of rules that if you don't adhere to then you will not be allowed to do things and i'm like that's a religion that's a religion which is weird because secularism is by definition non-religious but what you've got is woke secularism that answers questions about the you know the beginning of life and the what happens at the end of life the purpose of life it answers all of the religious questions and it even has its own priests now and they're the ones who guard the mm. guard the edges, right? And the, they tend to be people who are employed at the New York Times or, or whatever. If they end up sicking you, sucking someone on you because you didn't say the right thing, or maybe you said something 17 years ago that was a particular off, as if people can't somehow change their minds or grow, it's it's gotten really scary. And so mm. the public square is like a landmine 
uh, it's a minefield. You can just walk around the landmines constantly now. And anytime you want to put something out publicly, it's really, really difficult. And it, yes, of course people shouldn't be uh, speaking in ways that are harm, harm people knowingly, right? I don't, I don't want to say anything uh, that would harm anyone in, in any kind of racial way or in any kind of sexist way or anything. Anything. We, you know, we Christian people, we love, we love everybody. And we speak from our particular point of view. But at the same time, I just don't know where grace is anymore. Um, and that is one of the chief reasons, in my opinion, why Christianity is way better than secularism. Because even though we've had these really dark moments in our past, right, like a scarlet letter or something like that, we, we mostly repudiate that now. Mm-hmm. We look at it and say, no, actually, you know, people do make errors and they do fail. And the, the, the message of the gospel is that Jesus welcomes you home. Whereas if you're in the woke secularist, you're not coming home mm. unless you do enough penance and you never know if you've done enough penance. You don't know. If, if you're useful to them, then in the end you can do some penance and you'll get off. But until, you know, until you're not useful anymore, like Andrew Cuomo is getting killed right now mm. because of his, his lack of usefulness. So uh, anyway, it's a very sad state of affairs, and it's really hard, in my opinion, about what's going to happen in the future. Because it gets it gets dicier and dicier for people to say something publicly. Yeah, it's just a, a new iteration of works based salvation in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. Right. But it's impossible. <laughs> like every works based system, it's impossible. You will eventually say something wrong. They will cannibalize themselves. Everybody does, and that's the way all fundamentalists have ha- acted. You know, like even now, the people who have the highest sexual ethics in Christianity end up acting like think about Ravi Zacharias you know like he ends up acting like he like he did and you're like see the very things that you said were true are now the things that are that are eating you mm. which is so sad yeah uh, we have just one more thing we're going to get into before we transition over to your interview uh potato head Mr. Potato Head yeah very important the potato head yeah yeah this is uh top-notch stuff here I've spent a lot of time <laughs> in in my life in the early as a young child uh, with the potato head, hmm. I did not know he was gendered, <laughs> and uh, there was no, there were no features of him that made me think ever about his gender mm-hmm. or not gender. I guess the mustache, but it could be argued, <laughs> Levi, that a mustache can uh, can happen on other, you know, f- and females do. So and, and vice versa. Not not every right. man has a mustache. No, some of them like you. I don't think you could grow a mustache at all. I actively try not to, but it's pretty easy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's we've reached the point in in our culture where we Dr. Seuss and Potato Head are the <laughs> are the biggest things that we want to fight about. How dare they change Potato Head? It's yeah. Mr. Potato Head. And if you were on Twitter at all, that is what people. <laughs> Have been losing their minds about lately. Yeah. Yeah, it's good fun. So those are the kind of topics that you can expect when we uh, have our little conversations (laughs) before the interview. Stuff that people have been active about online, current events, various things. By the way, my opinions are just my opinions. They're not the opinions of the Northview Community Church (laughs) or Levi. That's true. It's just my opinions. But I like to giggle at some things. Right. That's our goal. A a little lightheartedness. Uh, we're going to move into now. Jeff sat down for an interview with our young adults, Pastor Vin. Some stuff about his his history, his testimony, his life in ministry. Uh, we think you'll be really edified by that conversation. I'm 
I'm sitting here with Vin Doan. He is the Young Adults Pastor at Northview Community Church. Hails from Australia, but also somewhere else prior to that. Yeah. Where? Calgary. Seven Cal- years. Calgary, Australia. They're the same thing, Vin. Absolutely not. I can Vin, prove it. I'm going to tell you something just before we get going. And I want to hear your story. you got an amazing story and interesting how the Lord has uh, used you and saved you and done all sorts of stuff. So I want to get into that in a sure. second. But before we do, your name, Vin Doan, yeah. is one of those th- names that you have to, you feel like you should be saying together all the time. <laughs> have you ever heard anybody say Dr. Henry? It's always Dr. Bonnie Henry. Dr. I Bonnie sh- Henry. Yeah, you're, it's true. You're Vin Doan. It seems to be working. Don't you think so? Vin Doan. I don't know. Like People I mean, call you Vin, just Vin. People have called me just Vin, or no. people have even asked questions of, is it short for something? No, it's the not. The rest of this interview, I'm going to say, so Vin Doan, what is... No, I'm kidding. I'm not you go kidding. right ahead, man. Jeff Bucknam. See, it's different though, right? It is. Yeah. There's no ring to it. No. No. Okay, Vin Doan. Vin. Yes. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, people, a lot of people who are listening don't don't really know you. So can you tell them a little bit about yourself, where you're from, yeah. uh, which they just found out, but like, how did you end there? End up there? How did you end up in Calgary? You yeah. have a wife and two children. How did, how did that come uh, to be? How did you meet her? That yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Australia. So Where? Uh, Sydney, to be exact. That's my hometown. And, uh, you know, after my parents did their thing to give birth to me, then I, <laughs> that's where I landed, so to speak. And then, you know, like, at a, I was speaking at a conference. I got invited to a youth conference. Is that right after your birth? Soon after. (laughs) (laughs) Got invited to speak. And uh, in Canada, in Edmond, to be exact, and Toronto, I was at a youth conference, spoke there, bumped into my future wife, Laura, and then sort of signed. Was it love at first sight? No. uh, Love is too strong of a word. Okay. I was interested. I was was attracted to my wife. (laughs) <laughs> no. attracted to my wife. She well, you know, some people start with their, you know, they're like, hey, we were friends for 20 years. And in fact, I think uh, one of our pastors recently said in front of some people that he that uh, his wife wasn't marrying material <laughs> at the, fr- <laughs> the beginning. It's like, oh, that's my story is just as romantic as that. Like she was not interested. She thought I had wife and kids back home in Australia. So yeah. she was like avoiding me. She's like, that's a married man. I don't want anything to do with him. Um, so I pursued her, you know, asked her dad and all those things. And so, look, man, when we were deciding where to sort of move, we were actually, we sat down, we had a conversation on Skype and just like, hey, where should we go in Australia? My ministry is established. I'm doing really well. And she was potentially going to come over to Australia. And I sat down with my dad. I was like, dad, what do you think? And it took a 30 second conversation. He goes, you pack up your bags and you go. That was the end of it. So okay, didn't wow. look at the fine print and about all that snow. Oh man, that would have been weird for you. Uh, Sydney is not known for its snow. You should show up in, uh, in Calgary. Yeah, but at least it's known for criminals, so convicts. Yeah. At least that. But yeah, yeah, I still remember. Like I'm not good with dates. I recently just this week, just this week, Jeff, I forgot my wedding anniversary. Ooh. Yep. So that's how did that it's go? Out there. Um. Did yeah. your, wife, your wife was very very happy about that. She did a, what is it, the uh, emoticon of, uh, you know, the hand slap to the face, to the uh, forehead. Like, what's what's yeah. wrong with you? But I remember the date when I landed because I left Australia, what is it, January 6th, 2013, 
it was a summer, middle of summer, 35 degrees. I land in Calgary, minus 20 without windshield. Mm. That was that was some, something. Bit of a shock to the system. Yeah, with my Australian winter jacket. Yeah, I bet, which is <laughs> paper like thin. a shell. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. You were in uh, you were in Calgary for seven years, and then you moved here just this last year, year a little bit. You've actually not done ministry here at Northview without uh, COVID. Correct. Wow, you are uh, you're like our COVID pastor. Yeah, man, I'm almost like a. Yeah. Did you come after COVID started or just before? After. Okay, because I was going to blame COVID <laughs> on you for a minute there. Like so, basically, we've experienced all that we've experienced as soon as you got here. So be it. I'll take it on the chin. I'll yeah. fight anybody about it. Come on. There you go. So, Vin, uh, you, you have an interesting story about how you fa- came to faith in Christ. I want to hear yeah. it. But before we do that, I want to ask you my your best joke about it in Australia. Come on, Australia. There's a lot of good Australian jokes. There's hard, uh, yeah. It's been a long time. But I mean, the only one I can think of is when, you know, you know the joke goes, uh, like when you apply for an Australian visa to come visit the country, the border security will ask, Oh, don't you have your criminal record? <laughs> yeah, so because if you don't know, yeah, that's part of our history. Well, yeah, it is part of the Australian history. Yeah. It was uh, it was a colony, correct, of criminals. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. we love it. Uh, like as Australians, love to celebrate that. I love it. I don't know why. It's a thing. Okay, so I have. Uh, is it true that if you call somebody a Canadian in uh, in New Zealand in Australia, yeah, that that's like a put down? Uh, according to you, yes, maybe. No, I've heard this before. I've never that's heard it, but of, a bunch of Australians will be like, "Oh, you're such a you're such a Canadian," and that that's a, that's a knock on them. Australians love to knock every other country. So you you believe the possibility of it? Okay, let me. Okay, people, listen. This is the way I'll frame it, Jeff. The only time Canada came onto my radar, even before my wife was. There was a picture. There was a picture after the Canucks lost that game seven, and it was a picture of a couple making out on the ground. I don't know if you remember that photo. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was two young adults making out. The only reason why that photo reached Australia because one of the people making out was Australian, <laughs> and we're like, yeah, that makes sense. There's a riot. There's riot police all around you. They're making out, but they, it was funny for us as Australians that you would riot. Over a game, yeah. a- Australians love sport. You know this, oh, Jeff. Yeah. We love sports. We've never rioted over it. We'll kill people, yeah. but we won't riot. No, that's right. But you guys all have TVs and stuff. Whereas here, you need sometimes you need to have a new TV. Yeah. So you just wait for the next Canucks loss, and where you go? I'm waiting. <laughs> you don't need to wait very <laughs> long then for that one. Um, there's a ton of Australians in Whistler. Why are they all there? They love the snow, man. They just, yeah, they love the snow. We don't get much of it in Australia, and so that's where they go. Okay. So, I, and I've never been. So like it's a run by Australians, basically. I'm, I'm not even surprised. Come yeah. on. There will be, like, drunkenness and <laughs> debauchery. Come on. That's what Australians do. Good. Right. So here's the thing. Um, you're a little bit surprised that you're a Christian. Absolutely. So why? Not even a little bit. Um, like, what's your what's your story? Why why are you a little bit surprised that you're a Christian? What happened? Yeah, long story short, I was in a gang for, like, over 10 years. That's partly because of my, uh, you know, because I was dealing and selling, like, heroin in large quantities. And so that ended up, I ended up in prison. So that, that was my life. How old were you when you got involved in the gang? And how, how did that actually come about? 
So probably about age of 13, when I first started, they were always there, even when at the age of 12. Part of it was getting bullied at school. I don't think that helped me either. I think that just sort of got me plugged into that group, I, like, I, I, that sense of belonging. Because hmm. if I was getting rejected at school and I didn't have any sense of, even though my parents are Christians, lovely, amazing Christians, church didn't feel like a place of belonging either. So I had to find it in the best way possible. And the gang thing fit perfectly. Because everyone in that group had strange names like me. It wasn't that typical Aussie, you know what I mean? Whatever mm. it is. And so finding kids with the same like, same look as me, black hair, Asian looking, and then same strange names. We didn't have to explain anything. Because I remember going to school, bringing my like, little lunchbox, and then mum and dad would serve me what I ate at home. It wasn't a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It would have been rice and some dead animal we found on the road <laughs> right that's what we ate and so but i would have to explain that like what's that smell what do you, you know like so um it just made me feel so in a sense alone so the group was perfect was perfect because the uh, the second part of that was with the bullying it gave me protection now no one was gonna mess with me anymore yeah yeah so uh when you first started in the gang, you, you, I mean, you're obviously from a Christian background, a Christian yep. home. I'm assuming your family was did, – did they know? Was it something kind of public, or was this one of those things that you sort of did behind the scenes? Did you still go to church and stuff? In the beginning, it was private. When I say the beginning, probably the first year. And then after the year, probably when I was 14, it was like full-blown public. When I, when I mean full-blown, and this is sort of my personality as well, I remember – when my parents would make me go to church even at 14, I was smoking my cigarettes right at the front entrance of the church so everyone would see. Because there was no, there was no, like, I, once you had been in that gang for now about a year, that that very mentality that you're in the group, you, you, you sort of live and die in it. Like, there was nothing else. I already got the tattoo by that time, so it was full-blown, like, you know, you know, you're not a gangster on the weekend and the five days you're a good Christian boy. It's like, hey, seven days, are you in, you're out. I'm in. So even at church, I'm in to represent the group as well. Wow. Did you have any friends who were in your gang who were also involved in church? Or was that no. like a, you were the only kid kind only. of in that background? Yeah, what did your only parents kid. think? Dad was, I think, you know, he's a typical, you know, maybe Asian father, sort of kept it to himself. And, but you could sort of see the disappointment where mum was the opposite, trying to, you know, growing up, them growing up in Vietnam, being refugees, escaping from Vietnam during the Vietnam War, you know, they, had, they didn't have to do with whether it was bullying or racism or anything like that. So mum just didn't know what to do or say. Like she would say stuff, typical stuff like ignore it and it'll go away or the way to love me back was to maybe cook my favourite meal. But there were no words. It's just like, I don't know what to do, but to serve my child just to let him know I love him and hug him and kiss him and all those things. Was there was a it? lot of racial animus in uh, Australia that time toward Asian kids? Yeah, it, from the from the seventies to the mid eighties, yeah, there was a lot. I think you know part of it was the political landscape of Australia at the time too, which was long story short, like the Australian population didn't want to take that many immigrants from Vietnam over but the Prime Minister at the time pulled the trigger and said we have to take them in and so okay fine if you're gonna take them in then you have to put them in these sort of neighborhoods so for example it's, it'll be like they can't live with us in Vancouver so send them to Abbotsford or Chilliwack or Hope 
And so there were these hubs, you know, of these pockets of communities where immigrants are Greeks, Italians, Vietnamese, Chinese, you know, Lebanese and all these things. Right. And were there, uh, I mean, it, it seems to me that gangs form out of a lot of that kind of animus. Yep. And so as a result, uh, yours, yours did. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, that was just out of, you know, I think at first it wasn't, you know, it was intentional in the sense of would everyone would say that our hands were or their hands were forced because they were being picked on. The only way to protect yourself is to then group together. Right. Yeah. So you were in it for 10 years. Yep. <coughs> did you spend um, the first few years, did you know that you were getting into something that was going to involve you like selling drugs a lot of places? Or was it sort of like, hey, I'm, just, I'm here with the group kind of like a fraternity type thing? Yeah, I would say more of the latter. It was going to be a fraternity, and you just sort of... I would never have thought I was going to be dealing drugs and dealing with all that type of money and, and gang violence. I wasn't in it for that at first. You know, you're in it because you want that brotherhood. You want a group. But then, you know, it then became about survival as well. And what I mean by survival was a lot of the kids uh, in that group, their parents were, like, quite poor. I wasn't... Uh, I was more fortunate than them, but they definitely weren't. So, you know, to go around stealing cars and breaking into sheds and stealing power tools because that's worth money and selling it in the black market, that was a way to survive. But then once drugs came into it, then that's where we knew where the m real money was. Right. Yeah. So you got involved in uh, in dealing it. Yeah. So uh, give, give me a – you would you did you have certain people who buy from you? Did you just go on the street somewhere or what did you do? So there's levels. So, for instance, when I first started selling heroin at about 15, I was what we would have called a puppet. I didn't know that, that I was called that behind the back room until I got to that level. Hmm. But the puppet is the most dangerous. That's the most dangerous one out of the grouping because you're out on the street. You're completely exposed. You have the heroin on you constantly 24-7, whether it be in your mouth, in your pocket, in your shoe, or hidden somewhere. But you're the puppet. And you might make, you know, as a kid at, at about 15 years old, you know, making a few hundred dollars, like maybe up to $500 a day, like as in profit that I get to spend. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money yeah. for a kid. Yeah, yeah. And so as you, but as you get up, you know, when you get up higher within the rankings, you make more money, but your job is safer, but you're dealing with a lot more. So the risk is higher, especially let, let's say if it's getting, getting transported into the country, you know, that's, if you get caught for that, then you're, you're done for life. And you did get caught. I did. How did they catch you? Through under, a lot of undercover. Mm. And so I got caught multiple times. And it's funny because like, it's like, I always thought I would outsmart them because I know more. I learned more. And so I know what to detect and look for. And somehow, look, they, they're just as good. Mm. So in the end, you end you end up going to jail. You had you had a sentence that lasted how long? How long was your sentence? Originally, it was uh, a few years, mm. and it got uh, reduced partly because of uh, a technicality, which I would say is from the providence of God. Mm. Because to me, looking back, it wasn't. I mean, they had everything, but I think it was the wording or how they found the evidence that the judge says no, wow. we're going to have to reduce it. So, Vin, when did you come to back to faith in Christ? Um, I don't know if it came back, you know, maybe the right terminology. I, maybe, but um, 
Well, tell me what the right terminology is then. Look, man, the way I've, I view my life is, is true. Like, God himself, I don't know if I came back. I don't think I was ever there to come back to. And I remember I was in California, in Orange County to be exact. I'd cleaned up, like as in, I was off drugs, life was good, uh, in a sense of I was just out of the group. Most of my group had been dead, as in, as in murdered, because of just internal gang violence. I knew I needed to restart, refresh, and then went to California, went to Orange County, cleaned up, and then in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm, I'll go back to the life. Once everything settles down in Australia, I'll go back, make the money. Just like, because most criminals, they don't know what else to do, but the very thing that they left. That's the only way I was going to make money and, and whatever it was. My aunt eventually asked me to go to a, a church service with her. I went to a church service. My heart was still really hard. Uh, was not searching for God at all. I can remember that very clearly. Um, there was a communion. There was during communion. And uh, there were during communion. I decided I was going to take it for whatever reason. Partly because I wanted to honor my father. And so I took communion, took the bread, ate it, no issue. When I took the cup, I drank it, and I blacked out, and I fell. Like I sort of fell on my knees to the floor. That was probably about three seconds. Got back up, like, whoa, that was weird. I went back home and then had this nagging thing that I think something happened. Hmm. I don't know what it is. Something must happen. Um, And so I called my dad. He was the only one I thought could potentially answer me and he gave me you know these scenarios do you think it's this do you think it's that i was like no he goes okay vin well we know that the the cup that you drank represents the blood of jesus do you think that as you drank it that uh that blood that represents Jesus, like sort of um collided with every sort of evil spiritual force within you and sin and whatever demonic presence that was in you and you have to understand my dad is almost fundamental like conservative mm. like suit tie you know yeah. type of christian and for him to say that and when he, he said that and he goes do you think when those two words collided and the blood itself was washing away or that cup was washing away that it brought you to your knees before the lord and as soon as he said that, i was like that's it that's what happened i don't know how but that's what happened and so something like that has never happened to me again. Um, yeah. So that's my, so you, yeah. You are a story about how God was kind of a Damascus Road situation. <sighs> like yeah. you weren't looking for it. All no. Of a sudden God. no, no. Yeah. And I think by God's grace, I think he realized how deep and dark I was in that world or in that sin that it took a road to Damascus moment to waken me up. It couldn't be something... I don't know if it would have been a great talk by Dr. Jeff Buckner or anything. I don't, I, it maybe could, <laughs> or by reading scripture, you know, or whatever it was. But God chose that very way to really waken my senses, mm. so to speak. And yeah. so now you're here. You're a pastor. Yeah. That was un- unforeseen, I'm assuming. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, very much so. I mean, as shocking as telling your Ten-year-old uh, self that you would be involved in gang violence and in drug selling. I imagine telling your gang violent and drug selling self that you're going to be a pastor in number of years would have been just as shocking. I would have told myself just stay in prison, man. <laughs> it'd, it'd be easier. 
So um, I, my, my question, I think, is that I've heard your story before, but I'm, I've often wondered what – so here you sit now, and you have this – this history. I'm. I'm just wondering how you deal with your past manner of life. Like what it, wh what what kinds of emotions come up when you when you tell that story? Yeah, I think um, it's hard. I live in, in I live in this really weird tension that uh, I don't mind talking about it sort of one on one. If people came up to me privately and asked, you know, um, I'm very cautious about how I use it on stage. Like even at Northview, I think my very first summer at Northview, I mention it. And I've never mentioned it ever again. Like, I'm very conscious about not using God's time or God's pulpit to promote me or my story. Unless it's like a perfect illustration. But if I can, I won't. I avoid it as much as possible. Because I just wanted to honor God himself and his word and what we're preaching, what I'm drawing people to. Because I've seen in the past where my story has, by God's grace, he will allow my story to outdo his. He will allow it. And I, I used it and I abused it until a prof my professing uh, my professor of preaching came up to me one day and said, hey, Vin, if I took away your story, what story would you have? And I said, I would have the story of Jesus. And he goes, tell that one. Hmm. And that, that, like, that broke me. And maybe I swung really hard with the pendulum. You know, swing went to the other side. And so I, I try to be very cautious. But the weight of it is always there. Like every time I apply for some type of visa, my, like my visa here, I had to I have to go through that criminal record check. Mm. When I, like the US is still really hard for me to get into. It's been 20 years since I was in Seattle. It's hard for everybody to get into yeah. these days. <laughs> Very true. But that component will never leave. And just like, for those who don't know, I have two young daughters who love Disney. I have to contemplate the idea of, I might not be able to take them to Disney. Mm. That's That's, I have to deal with that. And have to explain to my children and Laura and I have even spoken about Laura maybe you have to take them because I can't get in so I'm very aware and I'm very aware of how it can be used and not be used and all those things so if, if you met somebody who's got kids yeah and they are you know they've grown up in a Christian home and they're in their teenage years now and they're walking a path that looks familiar to what you just described not maybe the whole, I mean, they're not selling drugs, yeah. yet, but they are walking in a direction that they're scared. How, how would you counsel them? Like, what, what would you tell them to do, not do? Uh, how should they pray? Yeah. Yeah, no, good questions. You know, a lot of it will be also dependent. I'm always, one of the things I'll try to do is figure out what's happening, even in the family dynamics. Like, these kids don't just wake up one morning and say, oh, I just want to be on drugs, or, oh, man, I just want to be in a gang and go into prison. Um, whatever, whatever impact that has happened, whether it be at home or at, at school or whatever it is, I'm trying to find out those things. One of the questions I'll even ask parents is whether it be surrounding. So a lot of drug addicts, a lot of them have to leave their, the areas that they live in because anything familiar will sort of trigger them. So it's like, some of the hard advice I've had to give parents is, guess what, I, I hate to say it, you're going to have to pack up and move your entire family across the country mm. if you want this child to be saved. And some families are, are not willing, are not willing to do that. So it'll be that. There's a, yeah, a lot of conversations with the child themselves and thinking about even their personalities and characteristics I have to work through. Because for me, my danger is I just want to shout at everyone all the time. But there's there's been some 
guys who have been in it they just need that sort of that gentle you know what i mean that gentle tender whisper from from a mother like my mum who waited for me every night to come home hmm. when my dad was a bit more distant mum was real close to me so it's i think it's dependent on a lot of things but to ask those good questions do you look back at that now your mom's behavior now and uh think that it was slowly having a part to play or is it was it kind of meh like would you tell somebody to do that would not wait up on every night and stuff because that's the challenge people have is they're like well if my friends going down the path like how i want to encourage them to follow christ but i don't know how yeah should i be heavy-handed do i be gentle do like yeah. what do i what do i do i think to me i think i got the best of both worlds and what i mean by that is dad was you know, not overly hard hitting, but he was. He gave me the truth. Like, why are you behaving like this? You wouldn't behave like this in public with the police around because they would arrest you, but you wouldn't do it at home. Whatever it was, I was like smashing windows and because I was so angry or whatever it was. He goes, you would never do this in public, but yet you would do it at home. So giving me giving me that space to, go, you know, think through some things. But mum, on the other hand, never said a word, but she she told me, and I believe her, that she left the light on because i wouldn't be home for weeks years but she left the light on at the front of our house every night for all those years every single night the light was on to signal to me you can always come home mm. always so i think you know every child every family everybody gets to that end of the road moment and when they get to the end of the road w the question then is do they know where to go Okay, they go to social services. They know they can go to government agencies, whatever, but do they know they can come home? Where for my mum, she wanted to send that message to me very clearly. Mm. Yeah, and it, it and it did go through. I always knew I could come back home. Yeah, that's good. I, I find it interesting that earlier you said uh, that my language was not the right language to use about about you. I said coming back to faith, and you you pointed out that no, it's actually I don't know if I was part of faith. I I think this is a challenge for some parents. Mm. Is that their kids? They think that because their kids went to Sunday school or whatever, that their kids yeah. are somehow you know believers. But their lives are not showing it at the time, and so in some ways, it, I sometimes feel like it would help if if they looked at their children and realized actually, this, my child is not actually. I, I don't know if they're a Christian. Yeah. Like I don't know what to do with with maybe Agreed. little professions they made when they were young. I don't know what to do with all of those, but right now they're not actually, I don't know if they're a believer. So yeah. in the end, I think it's helpful to think, how would I, how would I treat somebody who's not a Christian? What kind of uh, consideration and care would I show yeah. somebody who's not a believer? Yeah. No, I agree. And that should, if, if we get to that place for a lot of our parents, I think that should even potentially change a lot of our prayer life as well. Hmm. In, in if, we're, if we're reading and seeing our children for the way they actually really are, I don't think, I don't think my parents had almost, it was very clear to them that their child was unsaved. Mm -hmm. Though he had been to Sunday school, though he had been to church, though he was, you know, all these things, I was very adamant. So um, I'm changing the subject a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you've been involved in church for quite a while now. Yeah. In Australia and here mm -hmm. in Canada. What is the, are they similar? Like what's going on with the church in Australia? How would you how would you phrase it? Because everybody here, I think all they ever hear is you know I guess uh, Hillsong or C three maybe or yep yeah. And so I think no I look I get that, but in the Australian scene, especially in Sydney, Australia, 
Um, we get the Hillsong thing is very polarizing, but the truth is, according to stats in Australia, as in like uh, church stats, you know, Hillsong is maybe in attendance-wise across the country is probably at like third or fourth to fifth. But the churches or the denominations that have the most would probably be the uh, the Anglicans, right? Uh, the Church of England, they're like astronomically like they're amazing. A little bit different than here. The very different. Church, uh, unlike the Espis- Episcopalians over here. Right. So unlike them at all. But, you know, the difference is, is Australians, like, you know, one of the things you find out is, you know, um, because we wear a heart on our sleeve and, and, and all these things, one of the things is even in the church world, it, it's, it's polarizing. And, and you have to almost have to choose a side. Uh, maybe Australians won't like to hear this, but it's true in the sense that in the Christian world, it's like you're either on the Hillsong side or you're on the other side, mm. like the like the Reform side. Yeah. You pick. So the, ang- the Anglican, uh, there's, uh, some people here, when they hear Anglican, they're like, oh, that's kind of a mainline church. And yeah. in, in Australia, it's a very evangelical very, denomination yep. there and very, like, gospel focused yeah uh, Angl- city anglican uh, yep. diocese great yeah some really great work yeah um is the church in alberta doing well that's a good question i think you know it's even my that's the question i have for here for abbotsford as well it's is that question even though there's a lot of buildings around just like alberta just like calgary and edmonton my reading of the situation is a lot of nominal christians that's my that's my personal call on that, and you know th- I think the time is you know might be coming when you know I mean we're gonna see the church for what it really is, but um, yeah I, that's the similarities I'm finding about Alberta in and Abbotsford mm. that a lot of nominal Christians who feel safe in their beautiful huge buildings and you know but lifestyle outside you know and that's where maybe my gang mentality comes in. Mm. When Christ sort of called and saved me, are you in? Oh, okay, I'm in. That's seven days a week, 24-7, I'm in. That's th- and I think that's part of my even concern as a pastor as well. Are you in or are yeah. you out? You just pick, just choose. Yeah, yeah, and it is a challenge here in Abbotsford or any town that has a number of churches. And it's yeah. very easy for people to go. and where, Or at least where the church or Christianity is not looked down upon quite as strongly as in other places. You know, if you live in downtown Vancouver, there's a lot of the people who are on the streets who are not going to, you know, they're not going to think really highly of Christianity. Right. So if you're going to be a Christian, you kind of have to, you know, it's worth it. Um, right. I have a ton of other things. I want you to ask me a question that you, that you have, except... You, I asked you yes. if you would have one question prepared to ask me. Yeah. Okay, so it's, uh, while it's mulling in your head, yep. I want you to also tell me what is the biggest problem uh, that young adults face right now. People have millennials who work for them, <laughs> right? And Gen Z who work Gen for Z. them. And oh, they're I pulling Gen. their hair out because they're like, yep. what is wrong with these people? Yep. Help these people. What is, what is, how can you help somebody who employs them and how, what's the bi- what is the challenge? Yeah, I... Great question. I think some of the books I'm reading, especially in regards to Gen Z or iGen, that you know, the terminology I might use is that uh, a lot of them now are less risk takers. And I think there's a danger for our young adults. They're less risk takers on every level. And what I mean is, you know, Jeff, it's like, I'll ask the girl out when I know for sure she's going to say yes. I'll ask her to marry me when I know for sure she's going to say yes. It's just all these things that it, it has to be a guarantee. Then I'll do it. Then I'll take that risk. 
I think that's been the danger, partly because of the two, you know, the stats say that about 2007, when this is really has become an epidemic, which is because of the iPhone and social media, the components of Instagram and Facebook. Because once these millennials and then iGeners put themselves out there, the funny thing is when they put it out themselves out there and got the likes, got the loves, all that, at the same time, they got criticized so hard. You look fat in that. You look ugly. What's right, wrong with your yeah. ears? What's like all these things? And now that's, they've withdrawn. They're scared to put themselves out there. They're all, they have an opinion on Twitter and you get destroyed. Yeah. So the idea of risk taking is a big thing, which I think has impacted the Christian world as well. Well, if I can't be a risk taker in just the clothes that I wear publicly, there's no way I'm going to take a risk for who Christ is and what he represents in this world. Right. That's my big concern that has impacted not just these big beliefs that we have about who Christ is and how amazing, but yet these little intricate details of our lives. The uh, the ease of feedback is crazy. It is. I mean, social, if you grew up in a social media world, the, uh, the possibility that you will have an opinion or uh, believe something that you will get uh, pushed back at you or yeah. they'll totally disagree with yep. is really, really high. And so in the end, it does end up conditioning you into being like, oh, I don't know if I want to get involved. Yep. You know, That's right. I might have an opinion. I might actually want to make a difference, but I don't, I don't know if I want to get involved because there will be somebody out there who critiques. Correct. There's going to be some sort of troll out there who has a go at me. Yeah. But the way it impacts the, 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 some of the most fundamental things about being Christians, let's say like, for instance, young adults and even baptism, the question they're asking is, and this is a huge concern for me, is they're asking about what do they lose? What if I lose? What do I lose if I profess Christ or if I get baptized? They're not asking the questions of what do I gain? Mm. They don't ask that question, and that deep, like that, deeply concerns me. They're not asking the right question. Yeah. Say, so I asked you that. I didn't, uh, you're a young adults pastor here, which, by the way, I thank God for. I'm super happy that you are here, and it's been a pleasure having you. What is your question for me? You have do to you have want a, a serious? Do you want a serious one? Or you I couldn't care less what your question is. You get one question. Here it is. What's a budgie smuggler? <laughs> Just answer okay, it, Jeff. No, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. People are going to start searching. Shame it. on you. <laughs> Shame <laughs> on you, Ben. Uh, yeah, okay. That's it. That's, That's your all. question. <laughs> no comment is my answer to that, to that question. Okay, we're going to finish this with a lightning round. Sure. Okay. Uh, I am going to ask you questions. Listen, you need to answer these questions very quickly. All right. Don't sit and think about them forever. All right. All right. Here we go. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Off we go. Uh, Your favorite Hillsong song? Oh, Oceans. I take that back. Okay. No, that's that's what you answered. (laughs) Uh, Oceans. Uh, The Creed. The Creed. Go back to the Creed. Who's the favorite? uh, Your favorite cricketer? Shane Warne. Shane Warne. Yeah, spin bowler. Yeah. Uh, if you played cricket, what position would you play? Keeper. Keeper. It's the wicket, wicket keeper. keeper. It's the guy who kind of like a catcher, but, but he's got. And, but he's short. Yeah, so short. he's perfect. What is the worst spider de- in Australia? I have no idea. Redback. Is <laughs> have you ever seen a nasty huge spider in Australia? That big one? Yeah, I've had one crawl up my back, and I didn't even know it. Oh that's my word, a, that's yeah, ridiculous. We're snake in Australia. I've never seen a sea snake besides in a zoo. What? Yeah, man. Oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, uh, how many do, do, are are you a criminal? Yes. Okay, so criminal from criminal land is that basically the case? That's how correct. many of your friends are criminals? <laughs> I would say nearly all of them. Okay, see, yep. 
Best rugby team in the world. Oh, come on, man. The Wallabies. The Allbacks. <laughs> right? You failed on several of those. <laughs> Vin, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. You are a star. And uh, God bless you in the ministry you've done. I'm super thankful that the Lord grabbed you by the scruff of the neck and dragged you into his kingdom. And it, we are the Same. beneficiaries of that. Those of you who don't know Vin, uh, you can uh, see him. He's very easy to see or hear. There's not that many Aussies around. He's a few. Go to Whistler, find but out. That's exactly. You'll find him in Whistler with all his kin. <laughs> Great. Criminal. Thanks a lot. Hey, for Thanks. everybody else, till next time. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Jeff. Make sure you subscribe to catch up on all upcoming episodes. So until next time, love God, do what you want, and don't be stupid. Thank you.